All right. Hey, good morning. Welcome. Merry Christmas, um, everyone. We're so glad you chose to uh, worship with us and join us this morning. So a woman uh, was in a, in a store shopping for, her, for Christmas for her family and her, for her friends. When kind of across the store, she noticed a young father with his little boy, two-year-old son. He looked to be two or three, and the son was sitting in a cart, and this little toddler was just totally out of control. He was trying to grab things off the shelf. He was yelling constantly, throwing tantrums and fits. But as this young father and son were moving up and down the aisles, this woman noticed how calm this young father was, and he kept saying, Billy, it's okay. Billy, you can do this. Billy, you can handle this. You don't have to get upset. It's okay, Billy. You've got this. The woman was so impressed by the demeanor of this young dad, right? She felt she had to compliment him on his control. So she said, hey, I'm I'm so sorry to intrude, but I couldn't help but notice. I'm just so impressed by the way you're handling little Billy. And he said, oh, no, no, his name's Jeremy. My name's Billy, right? So now we tell this story. Here's why. Because this is a time of year where we have to give ourselves a lot of pep talks, right? There's a lot of events Maybe there's a dinner or a party or a family gathering, and we have to kind of tell ourselves these kind of stories. You can do this. You can get through this, right? Or maybe you pull up in a car and you say to your husband or your wife, 30 minutes. That's it, right? That's all we're going to do here today because this is a time of year where we have to give ourselves a lot of pep talks. And in fact, some of you were wondering, because there was a verse that seemed kind of out of place up here, right? We're reading these Christmas story verses about, you know, God coming to earth and being born, you know, in the flesh. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, we're talking about like specks and logs. And uh, I, I want to elaborate. I want to I say that uh, This story that Jesus tells, we're going to kind of walk through these verses, and it's going to make perfect sense to you why we uh, walk through them when we did. And uh, so in Galatians 4, we'll start there, uh, you know, as uh, we were reading through that, it it says, "When when the fullness of time had come. In other words, what, what I want us to see here is that God came at just the right time in history. It wasn't random. Uh, God wasn't early. God wasn't late, right? He came right on time, and he sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem or to buy back those under the law. In other words, you and me, those of us that the law would condemn, those of us that the law would would, would say, look, you're a lawbreaker because you've not kept the law. None of us have, right? All of us are lawbreakers. And so when you're born under the law, when you, when you grow up under the tutelage of the law, you approach God out of guilt and shame because the law makes you aware of your condition. It makes you aware that you've not lived well or lived perfectly before God. And so he's saying here, Jesus came to buy us, to purchase us from that that shame and that guilt that's spurred by the law so that we could approach the throne of grace with confidence and find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. And then John has a little different take on this. He says in John 1, 12 through 14, he says, but to all who did receive him, meaning Jesus, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There's that theme, right? In Galatians 4, Jesus makes us sons of God. Um, and here we are all called children of God. And, and, we're, and we're told here that we were born not out of blood nor of the will of the flesh or because of the will of man, but because of the will of God, our heavenly Father, right? And then we're told in verse 14, and this is where we're going to springboard. He says, and the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. So John's saying, hey, I was an eyewitness to all of this. This isn't hearsay. This isn't something I'm making up. I'm an eyewitness. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, and this is what I want us to get today. This is the, so, so, in, so Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, hey, Jesus came at the right time, and John is going to tell us here, and Jesus came in the right way. He came filled with grace and truth. Grace and truth. So here's what I want us to, to think about. Jesus brought a full dose of each of those. And this is so powerful because some of you are on one side of the ledger or the other. Some of you are truth people, right? And you're not as good at grace. And others of you are grace people, and it's really hard for you to speak the truth to people. And this is why two people have to get married uh, to raise healthy kids, because you need some grace and you need some truth, or your kids are going to be crazy. They will, all right? This is why some of you are crazy, because both of your parents might have been truth-tellers, or maybe both of your parents were grace-givers. And so you grew up, um, maybe some of you went to churches, and those churches were all grace. And others of you went to churches, and those churches were all truth. And so that's why you don't want to go back to church anymore, right? Because we, we said a couple of weeks ago, grace or, or love without truth um, is a crisis, and the truth without love is an attack, right? So some of us grew up in families where maybe there was very little truth and a lot of grace or very little grace and a lot of truth, and some of us went to churches in the same vein, right? But Jesus isn't that way. Jesus always brings a full dose of grace and truth all the time, all day long. He never stops. And sometimes we talk about grace and truth like we have to bring a balance. I'm not saying to you that Jesus brought a balance. I'm saying to you that he was all truth all the time and that he was all grace all the time. Jesus never watered down the truth and he never turned uh, down the grace. It's absolutely amazing. He called sin, sin. He called sinners, sinners. And then he laid down his life for the sinners and paid for their sin. All truth, all grace all the time. And John saw this, right? John saw this with people. And it's what led John as an old man 
all alone, exiled on the island of Patmos to write these words. And this was an idea that God was full of grace and truth that had never been written before. It had never been spoken out in the world before. Um, And John was the first one to write those words. And as crazy as it sounded in the first century, I mean, because the world was upside down, right? And all of his friends, every single one of his friends had been martyred or executed. And he had watched every one of those friends suffer for their faith in Jesus. So what I want you to see this morning is that John did not believe in a God that wouldn't allow bad things to happen to good people. And yet, John watched these friends suffer, watched them bleed, watched them tortured. And he said this, God is love. And the reason that he could write those words that God is love is because Jesus was love in a body, because Jesus was full-on truth all the time and full-on grace all the time. And so what I want to do is I want to walk us through a passage this morning where we kind of see that very clearly, uh, that Jesus was all grace all the time and all truth all the time. And uh, this actually occurs in a context that's a little unsettling. It occurs in a context um, that's going to make some of us feel a little uncomfortable this morning, and it's going to make us feel uncomfortable because it occurs in the context of your and my, of our uncanny ability, you might even call it our superpower, to judge one another, our propensity to that. Uh, And I want to submit to you that it's your judgment of your family and your friends and those people. Like when you get in, when you pull up at a gathering and you, and you pull over your watch and you say, 30 minutes, we're going to be here 30 minutes. I want to submit to you that at the epicenter of that is this word judgment, and I'm going to prove it to you. Um, and so Jesus, in, the, in this context of judgment, he just asks this unsettling question, and uh, we're going to kind of walk through the question and the rest of our time together. But here's the question that Jesus asks, and he asks it of us all. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank, to the log to the board that's, you know, in your own heart and mind and life. In other words, why do you get all caught up about just this little, little teeny tiny speck of sawdust, right, that's in your brother's eye, right? I mean, it's just like you can't even hardly see a speck, right? But you're all, you're all, um, you know, built up and maxed out over this sawdust, this speck of, because these are words that mean like. It doesn't come across in English, but when he uses the word plank and speck, he's talking about like a huge, huge board and then a little speck or a little piece of sawdust. So he said, hey, why do you pay attention to the sawdust in your brother's eye or sister's eye or co-worker's eye or your friend's eye and ignore the, the plank that is in 
your own eye. In other words, he's saying, why do you focus? Why do you look specifically? Why do you give all this attention to? Why do you get so amped up and ramped up and emotional about this speck in your brother or sister's eye, that little itty-bitty thing that they do wrong or that sometimes grates on your, on your nerves, but you don't pay any attention to your own issues, to your own stuff, to the, to the junk that you bring to the table, to the junk that, you know, you present to others, right? I mean, why do you why do you see their problems so clearly and ignore your problems, your bad habits, your attitudes? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in their eye when there's a plank in your eye? Why do you do that? To which some of you would say, you would say, well, pastor, I'll tell you why. Because first of all, I don't know what that is in their eye, but that's not a speck. That's not sawdust. It's bigger than that. I mean, hey, she's a Democrat, right? Hey, he's a Republican, right? I mean, that's not a speck. Hey, they watch CNN. No, they watch Fox News like 24-7. I don't know what that is, but that's not a speck. That's more like a forest, right? I mean, I don't know. We get all ramped up and amped up about from people that are different than us, right? But for some of us, we would say, hey, pastor, I don't know what that is in their eye, but I know it's not a speck because it's more personal than that to you. You might say, listen, my dad left our family when I was eight years old, and he never looked back, and my mom had to raise three kids with none of his help, and then when he gets old and sick, he shows up, and he expects and wants us to help him out and to serve him. Look, Jesus, I don't know what that is in his eye, but I'm telling you now, that is not a speck. I don't know what it is, but it is definitely not a speck. And so how dare Jesus ask us a question like this when he doesn't even seem to know our story, right? Others of us might be tempted to argue with Jesus this way. Not only is that not a speck in their eye, but I guarantee you, I don't have a plank in my eye. I mean, hey, I see the world for what it really is. I'm a realist. And I see things and I see people for who and the way they really are, right? I mean, hey, I just understand the way things work. I just understand the world's work, the way the world works, the way that people are. But I don't have a log. I don't have a plank in my eye, right? I mean, come on. Do you, I, it's, you're probably right when you re- make that rebuttal. We're probably right when we make that rebuttal to Jesus. I mean, after all, right, we're probably not influenced by our upbringing or our experiences or our environment or by the families that we grew up in or the things that happened to us or the things that we did that happened to other people. We're probably, we probably don't have a plank in our eyes, right? I mean, we would want to challenge Jesus on both of those points. Hey, look, I don't know what it is in my brother or sister eye, but it's not a speck. And I'll tell you this, I don't have a plank. I don't have a big board in, in my eye. In fact, I know a lot of people, I know a lot of other people that have planks in their eyes, but I don't have a plank in my eye. But Jesus isn't even done. It gets even more unsettling than this. He goes on. He says, 
How can you say to your brother, how can you say to your brother-in-law, how can you say to your sister, how can you say to your sister-in-law, how can you say to your neighbor, how can you say to that guy at work or the woman at work, or how can you say to your boss or uh, your classmate, how can you say to your professor, right, that person that used to be your friend that ran off and took stuff, right? How can you look at them and say, hey, let me take that speck out of your eye, let me help you see clearly. Let me help you see the way the world really works, right? Let me tell you how the world really works. But yet, you know, you've got this plank in your own eye. When Jesus, essentially, here's what Jesus is saying with that question. He's saying, look, the whole time you've been critical, the whole time you've had such a bad attitude, the whole time you look at your watch every time you visit, right, and say, we're going to give this 30 minutes. Jesus says, that whole time, you've had a plank in your eye, and you didn't even know it. And then, if you're not a Christian, if you're kind of checking out the church today, because it's, you know, Christmas or whatever, you're going to absolutely love this next part, because Jesus gets at the reason that a lot of people kind of stay away from the church most of the year. In fact, this may become your new favorite thing that Jesus ever said. You may not even know that Jesus said this before, but here's the words he uses. He says, you hypocrite. I mean, to which all the unchurched people are like, finally, somebody's given it, right, to those church people. I mean, who was that again? Well, that was Jesus. Jesus said that. And by the way, he wasn't just talking to church people. Here's what I need us all to see. Hypocrisy is not a Christian issue. Hypocrisy is a human being issue. Every human being is hypocritical. Let me give you an example of this. Every human being says, whether they're Christians, whether they're Muslims, whether they're atheists, whatever, right? They, or, or agnostics, they'll say something like this. Well, I, th- I don't think people should lie to one another. But every one of us in this room, every atheist, every agnostic, every Christian, every person in the room has told lies when it benefited them, Right? Some of us tell lies, and we walk away and go, why did I just do that? I didn't even need to do it, and I still did it anyway, right? I mean, hypocrisy is a human being issue. And so when Jesus issues this word, he's not just talking to Christians. He's talking to all of us. He's he's outing all of us for who and what we really are, see? In other words, when Jesus says, you hypocrite, here's what he's saying. You sinner." you fall shorter, right? You did it on purpose or over and over and over and over again. See, now do you know why God is able to extend grace to you in spite of you? Do you know why God is willing to give you what you don't deserve even though he knows better than anybody else what it is you do deserve? Do you know why God chooses to overlook and forgive your sin and treat you as if you'd never sinned? Do you know why it is that God is able to extend you and I grace? Because he sent his one and only son into the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting 
life. It's because of Jesus. It's one word. It's Jesus. And it's always been just Jesus. See? Um, And listen, he knows. He knows about your upbringing. He knows about all those things you did. He knows all those things that were done to you. He knows about your dad. He knows about your stepdad, right? He knows what you've experienced. He understands your health challenges and how that set you back and took a toll, not just on your body, but on your emotions. He knows how that limited your ability to love and to be there for others and how you wish during that time other people had been better able to come alongside you as well. He understands what success has done to some of you, how it's blindsided you, because a lot of people have a lot of trouble passing the success test. He understands what failure did to you, right? He understands the connection between what you were told as a child and your failures as an adult. He knows your insecurities. He knows the opportunities that you missed, the ones that you took advantage of, the ones you should not have taken advantage of, and the ones that you should have taken advantage of, but you didn't. And he took all of that into consideration and having taken all of that into consideration and what you did with it and what you didn't do with it, your heavenly Father decided to extend you grace. And He knows you better than anyone. But I want to clarify something that I I don't think Jesus... I want to say something. Here's what Jesus is not saying in this passage. He's not saying to leave here and just feel bad about yourself and tell your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your roommate or your fraternity brothers or your sorority sisters, well, you know what? I'm going to try to be a better person. I'm going to just try to be nicer, right? And so, hey, for Christmas, my stepdad is coming over for Christmas, and even though he drives me crazy, I'm not going to cross my arms the whole time he's here. I'm not, I'm just going to keep my thoughts to myself. I'm not going to be rude to him. I'm not going to lose my temper. This is not about a go home and be a nicer person talk. This is also not a go home and try to be a better person talk. Jesus says, no, this is not what this is about. That's not where this starts. This doesn't start with recommitting yourself to being a sweeter person or a kinder person. What he says is, first, before you figure out how to extend grace to someone else, you have to know. Listen, you and I can't give to other people what we've not received and what we don't have. And so if you don't know grace, if you've never felt the grace of Jesus in your life, you will be handicapped when it comes to giving grace to those in your life, the people who need grace, right? So here's the way Jesus asked the questions. I'll say it really shortly. For a while, there was this advertising campaign that was out, right? And the campaign went like this, got milk, got milk, remember that? Here's what Jesus would say, you got planks, you got planks? I mean, I, listen, I don't know if you have planks, all right? But Jesus seems to think that you and I, that all of us, that we have planks. And that's why there's something this Christmas season that you're not looking forward to. 
Because I think what Jesus is saying to us about those family members that we're dreading sitting down at the table with, about those co-workers that we don't want to go to that party with, right, is that Jesus is saying, look, if you saw those people the way I see those people, if you looked at those people through the lens of grace and not through the lens of judgment, you would feel differently about this holiday season. So here, you won't dread that occasion. You won't dread that dinner party, that party, that meeting, that gift exchange. You won't dread it as much as you will say, here is an opportunity for me to give to someone what they don't deserve in the same way that God has so graciously given to me. Here is the one opportunity I may have all year to do what someone for someone what they would not do for me, right? And here's the brilliance of Jesus' teaching. This is why he says, first, 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 you've got to examine your own heart, right? You've got to examine what's in your life. You've got to meditate on and think on what are my insecurities? What are my frailties? Where's my brokenness? What, what are those things that I want to keep hidden from everybody else, but I know they're in me, right? And then did you notice the terminology? Jesus is just saying, look, first, if you want to do anything in a brother or sister's life, if you want to have any relationship with, with them, bring an awareness of your junk into the discussion. Bring an awareness of how your junk is impacting your relationship with them. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, he's saying, and this is so unsettling, it's so uncomfortable, he's saying to you and to me, this is not about their junk. You want to frame it like it's all about them, all about their junk, all about their uh, frailty and brokenness. But it's not. They may have a speck, but you, you have issues. And because they're front and center in your life, you can't see past them, right? I mean, there's kind of a humor in Jesus' teaching, right? Because he's saying, look, if you have a plank like in your eye, right, I can't see. I mean, it blocks everything. I don't see any of you. I don't see the world as it really is, right? Because I've got a plank in my eye. And if I have a plank in my eye, I can't see to remove something from somebody else's eye, right? And this is what Jesus is getting Get, he's, what he's getting at. And then did you notice the terminology? He says, and then once you acknowledge the plank, once you acknowledge your junk, he says, then you will see clearly to help a brother or a sister. Notice not judge a brother or a sister. Help. Help. Build up. Lift up. Not critique, not condemn, you know, but just lift up and build up. In other words, here's what Jesus is teaching us this morning. What he's teaching us is this. The more aware I am, the more aware that you are of what God has yet to do in you. In other words, the more time that you and I spend in the mirror of God's Word, the more time I spend... Uh, reading the messages and the teaching um, and the stories of Jesus, 
the more I am aware of what God has yet to do in me, the more time I spend on my own planks, on my own junk. And by the way, my junk is the only junk I can fix. And guess what? Your junk is the only junk you can fix. And there's a lot of us in the room, and we're ready to bail on a marriage because we don't feel like we can fix our spouse's junk. And you know what? You can't. But you can work on the plank that's in your own eye. You can work on your own perspective. You can work on your own shortcomings and failures and sin. Right? You can work on that. And this is so amazing to me. This is why I love the Christmas story so much. Because at Christmas, grace and truth came to earth. At Christmas, grace and truth came to earth to dwell with us in spite of us. In spite of our running the other way, in spite of our trying to dodge and run away from God, God came looking for us, and he started that search in a manger. Isn't it interesting that God was more brokenhearted over our sin than he was put off by it? Isn't it interesting that God was more brokenhearted over our sin than he was offended by it? That God was so brokenhearted over our sin that he sent his son into the world to pay for our sins so that God and sinner could be reconciled. Jesus drew near even though we by choice had gone far, far away. And Jesus didn't take sides. He came alongside. I mean, isn't that amazing? And that's the Jesus that we find. Um, that's the Jesus that we read about in the Christmas story, right? And it's funny, the people that Jesus had the most problems with, you know, were people who represented what I would call graceless religion. They were religious people whose planks made it impossible for them to show grace to anyone else. And they were the first people to, to look at Jesus and say, what are you talking about? We don't, we don't have any planks. I mean, we see clearly, right? We, we are people of the law. We keep the law. We have the law. We are bearers of the law. Who do you think you are to talk to us that way? We are perfectly fine they would say. And those were the people, the people who said, look, I don't have a plank. I don't have any problems. Those were the people that uh, Jesus wouldn't come alongside. Those are the people that Jesus took issue with. So how about you? Got planks? Are you willing to admit your issues, your struggles, your stuff, your junk? You know, because the truth is, when grace is up front, when grace is up front, there is something very, 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 very attractive about people who walk and live and move and traffic in grace, who get this right, you know. And this is why it is so important to know a Jesus who is all grace and all truth all the time. So let me ask another question. Let me ask it a little differently. What are you full of? 
What spills out of you when you bump into another sinner like you? What boils over when you bump up against people that you have a really, really difficult time, right? When you get shaken up by other sinners, what comes out? Because I'll tell you this, the church, the church that we want to be is most appealing when grace is most apparent. And, you know, one of the reasons that you'll invite people to church this next, you know, Tuesday night, right, or uh, during, sometime during the Christmas season and they won't want to come, the reason they will push back has absolutely nothing to do with the Jesus that they will read about in the Gospels. It will have far more to do with some of the graceless Christians they've met and the graceless church experiences they don't want to repeat right? So would you be willing this morning to consider that perhaps you have a plank that needs to be removed that is keeping you from extending grace to someone in your life that honestly, honestly, this is no exaggeration, if you were just to show them a little grace, it could make all the difference. It might even make an eternal difference in their lives as they observe grace you know, the grace of Jesus, Jesus himself, full of grace and truth, right? And here's where in this story, Jesus cranks up the grace even more, right? He's already outed us. He's already told us the truth. Look, you've got planks. You've got issues. And the truth about you is you want to look past your issues and judge and condemn and critique everyone else plenty of truth for today, right? I've had enough, thank you. That's like drinking from the truth out of a fire hydrant, right? Everybody agree with that? But here's where he ramps up the grace all at the same time. This is so incredible to me, right? Because there are some of us here this morning, and we would say this, we would say, listen, I know I have issues. I know I have bitterness. I know I have unforgiveness. But you know what? This plank, like I, it's too big. Like I'm powerless. Like I am so captivated. I am so held captive by bitterness and resentment, or I'm so overwhelmed with shame and guilt that I don't know how to take that log out. And so Jesus, who is all truth and all grace all the time, says here, I'll get that for you. I'll take that from you. I'll take your plank onto myself, and I will bear the consequences of that for you. I will carry that for you, and you won't have to carry that anymore because I paid the ultimate price to carry your plank. And in fact, I died on a plank very much like the one that I would remove so freely and so lovingly and so graciously from your eye, right? Because there are some of you here and you would just say, look, it's not that I don't want to take it out. I just don't know how to do it. I feel powerless to do it. I feel it seems overwhelming to me. And I know that the plank is keeping me from seeing others 
and our world and even God for who and what he really is. And so Jesus offers to take the plank away. That's what he came to do. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus came filled with grace and truth, all grace, all truth, all the time. And then he tells us the truth about ourselves, right? You've got planks, but then he stoops down and offers to help remove the plank from our eyes. And here's why this is so important, because you and I, we can't extend to others what we have not received for ourselves. So let me just ask you this morning, have you asked Jesus to deal with your baggage? Have you asked Jesus to help you with your issues? Right? I mean, because when, when you pray those kinds of prayers, right, when, when you make these kinds of asks, he does his best work in light of these kinds of prayers. Look at what 1 Peter 3 has to say about this. He says, uh, this is Peter now, right? He says, that's what Christ did definitively. Oh, and by the way, let's talk about Peter for a minute. See, here, here again, Peter's faith was not in a God who didn't let bad things happen to good people because Peter had watched the best person he'd ever known suffer under the weight unjustly of a cross. He watched the best person he'd ever known go through the worst imaginable thing. And here's what he writes about that. He says, that's, uh, this is from the Message Bible, and I, I love this translation. He says, that's what Christ did definitively. In other words, unquestionably. He suffered because of others' sins. We might say he suffered because of other planks. If we were getting very real, we might even say he suffered because of my plank. He suffered on a plank to take away my plank. See, this is when the gospel gets personal and real and when it begins to ripple out into eternity. So he says, he suffered because of other sins, the righteous one for the unrighteous ones. That's me, it's you, it's us. He went through it all. He was put to death and then made alive to bring us to God. You know what Christmas was? Christmas was a rescue mission. It was. Christmas was when Christ came to earth to take away the sins of his people, to remove planks from the eyes of men and women who didn't have the power or the strength or the ability or even the knowledge of how to remove planks for themselves. He came to bring us to God. And this, 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 this is why I love Christmas so much. It's why each of us should be not in love with the Christmas season, but in love with our Savior. Because He came. He showed up for you. And He didn't have to. And He didn't show up. He signed up for torture. He signed up for crucifixion. For you. You know, 
I was talking to somebody on the way in. They said, you know, you said something last Christmas that really blew me away. You know, you said, hey, if, uh, if Christmas, if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, we wouldn't be celebrating Christmas together, at least not in the way that we do. Right? And he said, man, and that just blew my mind because what Jesus did, because he, he didn't stay a baby, right? I think one of the dangers of the Christmas season and of celebrating Christmas is we kind of picture Jesus as that little baby, right? And he's not. He's nothing like that little baby. That little baby existed for a moment in time, but that baby grew up. And he would bleed and suffer and die and on a cross and then be raised to new life. And now he's no longer a little baby. He's the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And he is the light of the world. Yea, not just of the world. He is the light of the universe. And he is a savior asking you to come to him. So let me ask it this way. I'm going to wrap it up this way this morning. So a lot of you guys are here, you know, and, uh, and I know because I drive around town, so I see this, right? But um, I know that a lot of you have your house ready for Christmas, you know? I mean, the lights are all up, right? You've got your yard ready. You've got the lights up. In fact, um, some of the lights and the stuff that some of you put up in your yard causes me to have to extend grace to some of you. I mean, because here's why. Because some of you do the Clark Griswold thing, right? And, and you, in other words, you overdo it. And here's why this is a problem for me. Because my wife drives by your houses, and then she wants to overdo it, right? And so I have to extend grace to you overdoers at Christmas time. But, but so I know your house is ready. I know your yards are ready. I know your living rooms are ready. And you've spent all kinds of time on your home and your yard and your living room. But how much time have you spent getting your heart ready for Christmas? How much time have you spent pondering why Jesus had to come and why it was so necessary for him to come? Not for your neighbor, not for your spouse, not for your child, not for your teacher, not for your coworker, not for your boss, not for your other students, but for you for your plank, for the stuff you deal with, the issues you bring to the table because of the things that you've done that others have had to go, go through and then the things that others, that others have, people have done that you've had to go through, right? So are you ready? You know, and I just would want to say, look, you can be. All it takes is a moment with your heart center before God where you open up your heart and you just say, yes, Jesus, I want the gift. I want the gift that you came to bring. I, I mean, I just say yes to you. I open up my heart full of love to you. I open up myself to you. I mean, a moment like that can change, listen, the entire trajectory of your one and only life, and not just the trajectory of your life, the trajectory of your eternity. Because we serve a faithful God and a faithful servant. But it starts, folks, it starts, it starts, it starts, listen, with acknowledging the truths about ourselves. The truth that's there in every single one of us. That we have planks that Jesus needed to remove. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to call up our praise team. 
him. We're going to respond together in worship. And here's the way I'd like to challenge us to treat this song. We're going to sing a Christmas song. Uh, We're going to sing O Holy Night. And as we sing, I want you to ponder for a few moments, you know, what, what it was in you that needed to be made holy by God. What was in your heart that God had to kind of plaster over, that God had to pull out, that God had to do surgery on and begin to remove? And He's still removing it, and it's painful, and it hurts. But God is taking something that was kind of poisonous and cancerous, and He's taking it out and making it good and pure and holy. So some of us might just want to sit and ponder. Some of us might want to have a conversation with God where we say, God, I need your holiness. I I trade my unrighteousness for your righteousness, your holiness. Because I know you came, maybe for the first time, I know you came for me, for me. So I don't know how you need to respond, but I know this. Every single one of us needs to respond to God this morning. So will you respond to God in the way that you need? Maybe you know a friend who's hurting and going through a difficult time. Find that friend, grab them, give them a hug, pray for them. Maybe you need prayer for something. We'll invite you to come down and receive prayer after we're done. I don't know. Maybe some of you just need to be checked in to the lyrics that you're singing. Others of you need to be checked in to some plank that Jesus you may need to ask Jesus to remove. Again, some of you may need, want to bring an offering, right, to the front of the room or to the back of the room. I don't know how you need to worship Jesus, but here's what I do know. You were made to worship Jesus. So don't miss a moment. Don't miss an opportunity to do it. Can I pray for you and us, and then we'll sing together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise that you came not only at the right time, but you came in the right way. You were all grace and all truth all the time. And so God, help us to better reflect you this Christmas season in our homes, in our places of business, in our family gatherings, in our uh, gift exchanges, in the dinners, in it all. Help us to be uh, the light of your great love. Help us to be a people of grace like you. We ask and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.